I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm so appreciative of your joining me tonight as we turn this studio into a sanctuary. I'm so delighted that you have found time to be a part of something that we all hope and pray is significant. As always, my prayer is you will be blessed because you tuned in. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Would you hear the word of God? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was his fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We thank you, O oh God, for this opportunity. And I pray that you'll touch me and touch someone else through me. The glory and praise are always yours. It's in your name. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount has been preached. The golden rule has been stated. 
Now we come to the altar call. This parable says, you've heard the message, what are you going to do about it? Therefore, says Jesus, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a man who knew a lot about building. He told a story about two men who built houses. One man built his house on a rock, which was a very firm foundation. The other man built his house on the sand, which was a very unfirm foundation. For a time, both houses got along fine. But then the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. And from your study of Scripture, you know the result. The house on rock stood while the house on sand fell. Now, Jesus told this little story right at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Undoubtedly, he told it to emphasize the necessity of doing as well as hearing. These people were sitting on the lovely hillside above the Sea of Galilee. They had listened to Jesus bring this message. We're told that common people heard him gladly. They were so excited about it and pleased, and I'm sure that was some right-ons and amens. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. The people agreed with Jesus. He had spoken the truth. But Jesus also knew the tendency in human nature. The human nature is, the tendency is to hear something, to agree with it, and to do all those kind of things, but then to do absolutely nothing about it. I reiterate, Jesus told this story to drive on the necessity of acting on it. In one of his books, John Maxwell gives the top ten strategies for dealing with a dead horse. I want to share these with you. These are the top ten strategies for dealing with a dead horse. One, buy a stronger whip. Two, change riders. Three, appoint a committee to study the horse. Four, appoint a team to revive the horse. Five, send out a memo declaring the horse isn't really dead. Six, hire an expensive consultant to find the real problem. Seven, harness several dead horses together for increased speed and efficiency. Eight, rewrite the standard definition of a live horse. Nine, declare the horse to be better, faster, and cheaper when dead. Ten, promote the dead horse to a supervisory position. I imagine that all people have tried these particular things in their business. But John Maxwell said there's only one way to deal with a dead horse, and that is when you realize the dead horse is dead, dismount, do something. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a man who built his house on the sand, and great was its fall. So what is Jesus telling us in this parable of the two builders? First of all, he's telling us that every person is building his or her own house. Every person is building his or her own house. Jesus begins the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount with the word, therefore. This is in the King James translation of the Bible. Throughout these verses, he uses the word, therefore, to make a point. Therefore, do not worry about your life. Then he says, therefore, if you're giving a gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave the gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Therefore, do not worry about what you have on, what you wear, what you eat, and etc. But as we come to this point, this word, therefore, is now not emphasizing some little point. This now is emphasizing the whole Sermon on the Mount. 
the whole Sermon on the Mount. Here Jesus is comparing the building of a life to the building of a house. Every person has a choice. We either build our life on rock or we build our house on sand. Now the sand to which Jesus is referring was basically brought about by the snows on the mountains that came down to the riverbeds in Palestine. Occasionally these snows would be so great that they would flood the houses built down in the lowlands. But most of the time these this moisture would simply be little trickling streams that would come through the riverbeds. So it was so easy to build your house on the sand. You were building close to the water. You were protected from the great storms that would come up in wintertime. But then there was building a house on rock. How difficult that is to build a house on a rock. If you're going to build a house on a rock, you've got to go up and excavate the land. You've got to excavate the land. You've got to carry your materials up there. You've got to tote your water up there. And your house's heating system is not going to be equivalent to the cold that comes in on the storms when those storms are coming around. So it is with building a life. So it is with building a life. To build on the truth or the principles of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not easy. To live a pure life, to forgive others, to turn the other cheek, to practice the golden rule, to be a peacemaker, none of these things are very easy. And we're told that when Jesus was praying, not my will but thine be done, great drops of blood appeared on his forehead. And we know how difficult it is for us to pray for God's will to be done in our lives because it means self-denial. And what about this business of laying up treasures on, in heaven? Most of us are tempted to lay up our treasures on earth. But the scripture talked about laying up these treasures in heaven. I remember General George Pickett after the Civil War was asked how his southern soldiers lost the battle at Gettysburg. He had led Pickett's charge. And he pulled his whiskers and said, well, I think the Yankees had a little something to do with it. When we're not building our house on rock, I feel like it's the devil and it's our horrible nature that takes over and builds our house on sand rather than on rock. Let me give you a few examples of building a house on sand. Here's a woman who's reached her 40s and she says, now that my children are grown, I'm empty, I'm empty. I awakened this morning with many things to do but then she said, I didn't realize what to do. Sort of building your house on sand, don't you think? Then there was a Boston preacher who said that many parents have no authority over their children because they themselves are not under any great authority. Building your house on sand. Well, what about building your house on rock? In Christianity Today magazine, I read about today for the first time in history, Half the people in the world are living in urban areas. 860 million of those people, though, are living in slums. We're talking about places where it's cruel and unpleasant and hard to exist. They're there by necessity. But also living in those slums are a few Christian missionaries. They're there by choice. These missionaries are called friars. They're called friars because they're there by choice. I would say that these missionaries are building their lives on the rock. Not long ago, I prepared a eulogy for a dear saint of the Lord who died. Her name was Libanil, a marvelous, marvelous person. She brought joy to everybody she knew. 
She was a volunteer extraordinaire in the community. She loved everybody. Everybody loved her. She was a family standard. She was a family cheerleader for all her family. No question, Libanil built her house on rock. And then Albert Einstein was one of the most respectable people of his generation because he was so sincere in his faith. One morning he said he awakened and he suddenly could not keep getting all these things that made his life happy without some expression of appreciation to God and humankind. And so he gave his life to serving others. You remember he went to Lamborghini and served as a, a doctor. He built his house on rock. Every person builds his or her own house. Every person builds his or her own house. And then secondly, every person has to live in the house that he or she builds. Every person has to live in the house that he or she builds. As I watch people feverishly trying to get somewhere, I'm always reminded of a story that I heard about a lawyer who bought a horse from this farmer. The farmer told the lawyer, he said, you can have this horse, I'll sell it to you if you can catch it. So one Saturday, the lawyer and two of his sons went out in the pasture and they spent three hours trying to corral this horse. Finally, they caught him and got a bridle around him and they went back and said the, they found and finally got the horse. And the farmer, who was meticulously honest, said, I want to tell you two things about this horse before I sell it to you. He said, first of all, he's hard to catch. Well, the lawyer had already figured that out. He said, secondly, and he winked at his wife, he said, he's not worth a darn when you catch him. He's not worth a darn when you catch him. A lot of things in life are like that. Not too much worth anything when you catch them. And yet they will require all kinds of sacrifice on your part. You will have to stay up late. You will have to work extra hours. You will have to deny yourself. You'll have to do all these things. But once you get it, it's really not worth having. Not worth having. Well, I want us to hear these words because I think they're expressed very well of what I'm trying to say. Listen, when you get what you want and you struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day. Just walk to the mirror and take a look at yourself and see what the man in the glass has to say. It isn't your wife, your mother, or sweetheart whose judgments you must pass. The fellow whose opinion counts most in your life is that man there in the glass. He's the fellow to please, forget all the rest, for he's with you right through to the end. You can face your most dangerous, difficult task if the man in the glass is your friend. Sure, you can fool the world as you pass through the years, you may even get pats on the back as you pass, but your only reward will be heartache and tears if you fool that man there in the glass. There's an old story about a wealthy man who called in his secretary of many years, and he said, Jim, I want you to go with me. He took him out to this beautiful lot overlooking the lake, and he said, Jim, I'm going to be going on a trip around the world. And while I'm gone, I want you to build me a house overlooking this lake. I've always wanted a house there. I think the site is so pretty. Here are the specifications and the plans. I want you to spare no expense. I want you to build the finest house imaginable up here on this mountain. I'll be back in about 10 months. Well, the employee saw that here was his chance to feather his own nest a bit. So what he did was he hired crooked contractor. He got poor laborers. He got poor materials. And he built a house, and when the house was finished, while it had the appearance of magnificence, it was really a substandard, inconsequential shell. 
Well, the time came for the employer to come back. He got his secretary, Jim, and went up to look at the house. As they were standing there looking at the house, while it had the appearance of magnificence, it was nothing but a shell, but as they were standing there looking at it, his employer said, Jim, how do you like it? Jim said, oh, I like it fine, he said. He said, I like it fine. It's just a wonderful house. The employer said, well, Jim, I have something I want to tell you. He said, I'm going to be retiring next year, and I won't be needing your services much longer. And Jim, I wanted you to have a fine house in your retirement. He said, you see, Jim, this is your house. Now, there's a moral here. It just doesn't make much sense to build a shabby house when the house you're building is your own. Or it just doesn't make much sense to build a shabby home if the home you're building is your own. A fellow told me not long ago that he was tempted to go into this business deal to sell his vote so he could get a lot of wealth in a large business transaction. But he refused. He kind of testified to his own integrity and honesty. He refused. And he said, consequently, he lost his job. But he said, I can still look in the mirror and I like what I see. How important that is to be able to look in the mirror and like what you see. A Gallup poll said that one of the greatest uh, desires of modern kind is to have a worthy goal and a worthy purpose. And that is a wonderful thing, to have a worthy goal and a worthy purpose. That's not really the problem, though, is it, with many people. It's not the worthy goal or purpose that's the problem. It's the road we take to get there. Keep in mind that everybody builds his or her own house, and then everybody has to live in the house that he or she builds. And then I want you to think about some, something else. Every person's house is going to be tested. Every person's house is going to be tested. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to good people? Basically, it's because they are people. They're people. Surely, it's just good sense to know that our houses are going to be tested that storms will come and that our life houses will be tested. In the parable before us, remember, the difference is not in the weather. The difference is in the houses. What went into the house, the foundation of the house, that's what's so significant. What did Jesus say through Paul? Paul said, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. We're going to be tested in our houses. One of those tests it's going to be the test of temptation, the test of temptation, the test of discouragement. If you're going to fail, fail forward, as John Maxwell put it. Here's an illustration of a builder who went into a, a neighborhood he hadn't been in there before, and he was going to pave a driveway. He had a deal. So when he finished paving the driveway, he went up to the door to collect his money, and a lady he'd never seen before came to the door. After they had talked a while, he realized that there was some confusion and he had made a mistake, that he had paved the wrong driveway. Well, this woman wanted her driveway paved anyway, so she said she'd be glad to pay him. He said, no, it was my mistake. So he left. He went next door and he paved the correct house. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think those people in that neighborhood would have thought he was inept? No, not at all. Because of his kindness and because of his honesty, everybody in that neighborhood who wanted their, their driveways paved asked him to do it. You see, he paved more driveways because of his mistake than he ever would because of his advertisements. 
You see, it was because of the fact that he handled his discouragement so well. Then there's the test of perplexity. People are always asking, why me? Why me, Lord? Why did I have to suffer this? But there's no answer that ever comes to that. Bishop Morgan was the bishop of the Mississippi Conference for eight years. At some point, about midway during his tenure there, he had a serious heart attack. And while he was recovering from his heart attack, people gave him things. One lady gave him a book by Robert Elliott. It was called, Is It Worth Dying For? Robert Morgan said he wished he had gotten this book 20 years before. Dr. Elliott only had two points. His first point was, don't sweat the small stuff. And then secondly, everything is small stuff. Something to remember. Don't sweat the small stuff. Everything is small stuff. Before my recent surgery, I read a book by Max Lucado. It was called You'll Get Through This. The book basically is about Joseph and his sufferings, the biblical character Joseph. And what he said in the book was, Max Lucado said, your suffering won't be quick and it won't be painless. But he said, God will make something out of your mess. And then he said something else in that book that I think is highly significant and I want to leave with you. He said, when you wait, God works. Just because you're idle, don't think God is idle. That is a precious word. Well, we're going to be tested in many ways in this life. Those are only two ways, discouragement and perplexity, many other ways. So it's highly important that we have these handles to face our adversity. These are Five handles for going through the storms of life. Would you listen? Number one, build on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. Number two, don't panic, but persevere. Number three, face the test head on, but on your knees. Four, trust in God and his plan for your life. And five, remember that the purpose of life is to become like Christ. Every person must build his or her own house. Every person is going to have to live in the house that he or she builds. And every person's life is going to be tested. So be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this time together. We're thankful for this little parable. We're grateful for the Sermon on the Mount. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful as we seek to discern its meaning and as we seek to live it in our lives and allow Christ to live through us. Thank you again for this time together. Bless everyone within the sound or sight of me or these words. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. I trust that you'll remember to tell other people to join us on Thursday nights. It's always at 8 o'clock on the AIB channel. Have a good evening.